This is episode four, right? This is episode four. All right, welcome listeners to Fatal Error, episode four. I'm Chris Zomback. And I'm Sarush Kamu. And today Sarush has promised to uh, give me an overview of promises and, and futures. So, uh, Sarush, what, what's a promise? First of all, A plus pun. Thank you. Also, I'll, <laughs> A plus, same to you. So, uh, a promise is a way to encapsulate some asynchronous code and give the system information about how it completes and when it completes and what status it is when it completes. And if there's a system, if there's sort of an abstraction around this idea of completion, then you can do really, really interesting things. Because this, the thing knows what the shape of a completed object looks like, like a completed asynchronous task, what it looks like, you can do things really easily like chaining. Say, like, when this is done, take the result of it and put it in here and uh, run this next promise and then run this next one and you can make a chain. Uh, in that way. Um, it'll also let you do many parallel tasks at once, and because it knows what they all look like when they complete, as soon as they're all complete, it can uh, give you like a single callback. Um, all of these like different little abilities, like being able to recover from failure, you say like, okay, if this promise fails, recover um, by doing this thing, and like starting off this other promise. So for example, you might say like, oh, fetch from the network, and if that fails, then fetch from the disk. Um, that may not be the best example. I'm still trying to figure out what the best example for like promise.recovery is. But <laughs> So to, to recap, like a, promise, um, a promise is a nicer pattern for some common asynchronous programming tasks. Yeah. Uh, which is, and it's sort of, um, it, it makes more generic the idea of doing some asynchronous work uh, and and getting a result back, right? Yeah, exactly. It, it's a little bit of a more formal interface than, say, doing your own asynchronous work with GCD directly. Right, exactly. Or even, you know, you may not be interacting with GCD, but you're interacting with NSURL session and you have a completion block and a failure block. Uh, this sort yeah. of formalizes that. And so, yeah, so you can imagine that the, the canonical example of, like, when a promise is a slam dunk is if you have to perform three network requests in a row, right? <laughs> so you perform one in this completion block of the second one, you perform the, or in the completion block of the first one, you perform the second one, completion block of the second one, you perform the third one. And this slowly turns into arrow code. Right, or you have a very complicated uh, NS operation queue based right. uh, system just for making three network requests. Exactly. And I would say that I think NS operations are a lot like promises, but they're a little more high ceremony to set up because you either have to like make a subclass or make some special type of the block. And they also have a lot of details that most of the time you don't care about, like what queue the code runs on and stuff like that. And promises are just like a much nicer, easier way to work with that. You never have to subclass a promise. You just sort of have to define it. Uh, and it's they're, they're really nice to work with. I started, cool. yeah, I started working with them um, when I was writing the API for Backchannel. So the API is written in Node, which, uh, while writing in JavaScript, is not my favorite language, has tons and tons of support. Um, and I was quickly finding that like everything in Node is async. So like if you have like uh, some, if you have bcrypt and you want to generate a new salt to, to hash a password, generating the salt is uh, is async. And then, like, mm -hmm. hashing the password itself is also async. And that doesn't even go into, like, saving to the database is async. And so I quickly had all these callbacks, and I quickly fell into this trap of, 
okay, well, um, every time there's a callback, you have to do, you know, if error, check if there's an error, and if there's an error, you want to do some kind of special rejection, and then um, kick off the next thing. And I had nested code that was like six and seven layers deep. Um, at the very yeah. end of the line, you like send a welcome email, which is another asynchronous request, and you can finally say like, you know, result.sendjson, which finalizes the request. And this was like, it became unwieldy within like the first week or two of writing this code. Yeah, I mean, that's a huge problem in that sort of traditional async callback uh, closure-based style of programming. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, and I, I was like, I've heard these promises. I've heard they're really good. And, like, I, I know they can solve this problem, but they're, like, another thing to learn. And I'm already learning all this node stuff and, like, this new database and all these other things. So, I'm, and I put it off, and eventually I was like, you know, I just, I got to go out of this because this code is too messy. And um, I spent a day or two learning how they work, and it, like, it makes the code dramatically better. So now, instead of there being uh, a nested tree of our callbacks, or a nested, like, I don't know, error code or a nested set of code, it's now flat. So as soon as one finishes, you tell it what the next one to start is, and it just it, it works from there. And the JavaScript implementation is very weird. It's very tied to the way that JavaScript works. So uh, basically, instead of success block, you have something called then. And then is an interesting function because you can uh, return either a new promise, which will, like start waiting on that promise for the next thing that you add to the chain, and that'll be like the next thing. Or you can add just, you can return just a value, and it will automatically wrap that in a promise for you, and like immediately fulfill that promise so that you can continue. Or you can, you can also throw from it, which will be the same as returning a rejected promise. Uh, and you can do like all these little weird things, but you can kind of only get away with them because there's like a dynamic type system, or yeah, a dynamic type system where like, right. it'll just check the type of whatever you return. And if it is quote-unquote unthenable, which is sort of a generic term for like anything that conforms to the promise spec, then it will treat it as a promise. If it is not, then it will wrap it in a promise and it will like catch the errors and do all the other stuff. So JavaScript kind of has its own unique implementation of promises that are really, really good for JavaScript. It's sort of built for the language. Okay, that makes sense. So, so if we move into something like Swift then, uh, how... How does a Swift promise implementation look different from this JavaScript implementation? Yeah, so I wrote a Swift promise implementation uh, over the last few weeks, and I published a couple blog posts about it there in the show notes. There's a couple of differences. One big one that is always really satisfying is it's much easier to model in Swift because a promise is basically a state machine. It's either pending, uh, which means it's not done yet, or it's fulfilled, which means it's completed with some value, or it is rejected. So, uh, so it has had some error and um, it like is no longer going to continue. And that sounds a lot like an enumeration with uh, associated values. Exactly. So you can just have an enumeration with three cases, one for pending, one for fulfilled that has an associated value of you know the value that you fulfilled with, and one for rejected with uh, the associated value of the error. And it means that you can never express the idea of having an error and being in the pending state at all. Not only can you not, mm -hmm. not only can you not express the type system, the compiler won't allow you to compile it, but like, what would that code even look like? You just literally can't write that code, and that is cool. Yay, type systems. Type systems are cool. <laughs> and so you can actually make this state enumeration generic over the type of the value, and you can make it generic over the type of the error, and then with that you can also make the whole promise itself generic over the type of the value and 
optionally the type of the error. Okay, and so now I really see what you mean about the shape of the promise type uh, dictating what states it can be in and uh, how you interact with it. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, so there's this thing called uh, promises A+, which is the JavaScript spec, and it only defines that you have to have a function called then, and then has to be able to act in these specific ways, and as long as you do that, as long as you pass these tests, you are considered a thenable and you are considered a fully-fledged promise. And the reason that that's really cool is that once you have the then function, you can build all these other behaviors that I was talking about right off of that. So you get the chaining for free, promise.all, which is like, hey, finish these 10 promises and uh, let me know when they're all done. That becomes trivial to write. Um, being able to retry, being able to recover, being able to um, zip two promises together and make like a third promise with the types intact, which was actually a really fun one because you, know, you can zip two promises and then I get a tuple on the other side and the tuple still has types. So in Swift, you can actually like maintain the uh, the types of the tuple, even if you're mm -hmm. trying to combine promises of different types. Like promise.all, you have to have them all be the same type because otherwise, how would it know what types are going to come out? And you could like force it to work with any object or any, but um, you have to like, they all do have to be the same type. But with zipping, you can like do different types in the same like, uh, com like promise combiner, which is cool. Um, so you can build all these awesome like features on top of the then function. And so you can actually separate out the like promise sugar and the goodies that come with it and the actual implementation of the then function, which is cool. And those features would uh, just, again, going back to our sort of definition of what promises are and what they do for us, uh, these features uh, make easier a lot of common uh, patterns that, that we see in, in highly asynchronous programming. Yeah, exactly. Okay, cool. Yeah. They can, yeah, so since they can be like fulfilled once and they represent any asynchronous action, it becomes easier to say like, okay, well, my cache beforehand, it was synchronous because, you know, I didn't want to deal with the fact that it had a completion block and like making that work with other code and nesting everything was kind of a pain in the butt. But now because I have promises, I'm more likely to say, well, I might as well just have this return of promise um, that I can chain off of and do other network requests off of rather than having to just return synchronously and potentially even block, like even cause a, a single frame to stutter. Yeah, cool. That makes a lot of sense. So how do the how does the idea of promises relate to uh, the the I think fairly similar idea of uh, futures? So yeah, so my one line difference between like what a future and what a promise is is basically a future is read only and a promise is uh, read write. So essentially, you have a promise. The promise sort of has a future attached to it and you can pass the future around knowing that the future cannot modify its own state and that it has to have its state modified through the promise uh, and then the promise is the thing that actually will has a method on it that's called like you know fulfill with you know this value or, or reject with this error and so having that difference of this one is read only and this one is read write helps you maintain that separation through your app. Okay, so you, that's a way for you to expose a future value to clients without the possibility of uh, clients breaking your API somehow by writing something into a promise that you weren't expecting. Exactly, exactly. Okay, that makes sense. And actually, it's really cool. Um, I think this distinction is like not that useful. I guess mostly because I work on really small code bases with small teams. But I like I feel like you would know if you were fulfilling a promise when you weren't supposed to. But if you want that guarantee, it is there. And one thing that I really liked is um, one of the libraries that 
uh, implements this distinction between futures and promises, the way that they do it is really cool. The promise, like read and read methods and write methods are all exposed publicly. And the future has methods to read and write, but only the reading methods are exposed publicly. The write methods are internal. So the promise can talk to the future internally and fulfill it, but nobody from outside of the module of the Bright Futures code can do that. Oh, cool. And so this is the this is the Bright Futures library. This is the Bright which, Futures uh, library. Which does show up in our show notes as well. Yeah, so yeah, we'll definitely put that in the show notes. There are a few different options um, for uh, if you want to use like a promises library within your own app. So um, I've heard good things. I haven't used any of these. I've kind of played around with some of them. Um, but there's Bright Futures, which is a really popular one. There's Promise Kit, which has been around since, um, since the Objective-C days. And so uh, Max Howell actually maintains a compatibility layer, layer called Any Promise so that you can um, touch it from Objective-C without having to worry about the generics and all the other Swifty features. There's also Future Kit, which is newer on the scene, um, but also pretty good. And there's one I believe is called Swift Task or Swifty Task. Hmm. Okay. I I had only heard of Promise Kit I think before before you started writing and and talking about this. Yeah, it's called uh, Swift Task. Um, they are they're all pretty good. They all have their like you know slight differences. I'm sure uh, if I knew more about the reactive stuff, it would be more like RX Swift versus reactive. <laughs> Kit versus Reactive Coco. Um, they're all like slightly different in the way they choose to do their implementations and the features they choose to add. Um, but they're all basically pretty good. And I would say that they're all leaps and bounds better than managing your own success and failure blocks. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, so we have this idea of promises. They're super useful. And so you would think if you were building a language for the future, you would want to include some ability to use these promises and maybe also some way to easily access like some maybe some like language syntax and structure to like make it a little bit easier to use these promises and yet the current state of swift is such that we have uh we now have an improved gcd api yeah but um which which we can include in the show notes just for reference but uh where do we stand on any future uh any promise of any future <laughs> It's, it's just, the puns are ripe. I'm sorry, I had to. Uh, future async programming impo- improvements. So we don't have a whole lot to go on, um, but in the Chris Latner sort of retrospective of Swift 3 and like looking forward to Swift 4 post, he talks about like they want to add like a native concurrency model to Swift. So he mentions a couple of things in there. Some of them, some of them like make more sense. Some of them are like, what is what exactly is this? He writes first class concurrency actors async await atomicity, memory model, and related topics. So, you know, in these like 10 words, there's a lot to unpack. Uh, I don't know what yeah. they would want to do for actors. Uh, and I mean, I think atomicity makes sense. That's just sort of like making sure that you can write to something uh, and it has a, its own lock around it or whatever. Memory model, if they want to change the memory model, I've heard whisperings they want to move to Rust's like lifetimes thing. I don't know about any of that stuff. I, th- I think that the... Uh rust lifetime memory model um was proposed not uh not as a replacement for the current sort of arc model but as uh an an alternative that you could use if you were in a a a systems programming environment where you wanted more predictable uh, behavior interesting yeah we'll have to throw a link into the show notes for that stuff but yeah absolutely i don't think have you written any rust yet 
no i've read <laughs> about it and it seems interesting but i still haven't haven't found a good excuse to write anything significant yeah i'm basically in the same boat but i think the most interesting one of these like concurrency patterns that uh that chris latner like sort of hints at is this async await and async await exists in i would say one and a half languages that i know about <laughs> one and a half one and a half so the first one is c sharp uh where I, I, I this is the first i've ever heard of it i don't know if it was like invented there or first you know first came to mainstream popularity there um, but it's also in the es7 the javascript spec after es6 and so this is coming in JavaScript at some point, and there's like transpilers that you can use, so you can use this feature now rather than having to wait for ES7. So it's like kind of you can use it in JavaScript, but you have to jump through some hoops. So that's the half. Okay. Yeah. So async await basically the way that it works is it has in Swift in uh, sorry in C sharp they are uh, known as tasks instead of promises, and so you basically. If you have a function that returns a task, uh, and that task is generic over some type, you de you declare the method that returns that task as async in the same way that you would, you know, uh, sort of decorate a method with throws. You can also decorate it with async. And so okay. you would say, like, you know, uh, async get some integer, and the name of the function would be, like, get some integer async, and then, you know, you'd have a little arrow, and then the arrow would return a task of type int. And and the task type that you're describing here, is this somewhat similar to uh, a future, which we discussed a little bit ago? It seems basically like, more like a promise. It's, okay. yeah. Okay, I don't mean for this to... Well, yeah, I, I'm not sure if you can read to it or write to it. I don't know enough about the C-sharp stuff to, to say. But basically, you define it with a block, and that block runs on some background thread. And at the end of the block, you return some value, and that value is your new result of your thing. Okay, that's really all I wanted to yeah. know is whether this is similar to what we've been discussing or whether it's something totally different. Yeah, as far as I can tell, it's very similar to the stuff we've been talking about, but okay. um, it doesn't have any concept of an error built in, as far as I can tell. Now, maybe we have some C-sharp writers who are listening to this podcast who can tell us otherwise, but... Yeah. But as far as I can tell, there's no error modeling inside of it. So then you have this function that returns a task, and this function is labeled with the word async, and then whenever you want to use um, this thing, instead of saying, like, you know, call the method to get this promise future deferred, whatever you want to call it, task, and then calling some function on it to add a completion block to it, you instead uh, call it with the keyword await before it. And so what that will do is it will say to the compiler or will tell you know the system basically like look i'm actually done executing for now until this thing returns so give me control over the thread when this thing is returned and like put its value into this variable that i declare so you know this line looks like int result equals await get integer async okay so this is sort of a like language uh not necessarily wrapper but first class language support not just for this idea of uh and of asynchronous work returning a result, but uh, also, do, does it always uh, block the calling thread until that value is ready? Are there other ways to use async await? So it doesn't block the calling thread. It just sort of um, it just sort of yields control of execution until that that thing is done. But the like procedural list of oh, okay. execution d does stop within that method. But the system can do other stuff like accept touches and you know handle other stuff 
while mm. you wait for this task to finish. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. And if, I think if you don't finish that task, if that like, testing never returns, that would be a deadlock, basically. I don't know if you would call it a deadlock, but, but your code, that code would just not continue to write. So then you can imagine anything that you declare, any function that has the word await in it that also returns a type must also be async. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So... Um, let's say you call, like, you, you want to do something with, uh, let's say you have a network request, that network request is an awaitable, which, or it's like an async method. Uh, you call that, you await the result, and then you want to, like, parse, parse the JSON, and then you want to return, like, some parsed object. The method that returns that parsed object also has to be async. And so, in this way, I think it's sort of like Swift's error model, where you you decorate your functions with these uh, keywords and the compiler can sort of assure that anytime you have an await that the function is going to be async. Anytime you have async, you have to call await before, uh, before you can use, use the result of that. It's, it, it kind of parallels the memory model to, to some sense. And then you can also kind of imagine how you could combine the error model and the async await model to make asynchronous errorable things so like you would write like basically try await this thing and then if it fails it will okay, jump to yeah. the catch block and if it succeeds it will continue execution in the way that it that it normally would yeah i could i could see i could see that happening yeah yeah it's definitely an interesting solution to the problem and it's like should it be await try do this thing or should we try await do this thing how does it work how do all how do all the nuances and stuff work but it seems like it could work. It seems like it could be pretty good. Cool. Yeah. So that's sort of the, the future of this stuff. Ah, future. So many puns in this episode. No, it's great. So yeah, so that is, that is the bulk of what a promise is. I think that if you are working with the network in any capacity, you should absolutely be returning promises uh, instead of having like success and completion blocks. It's a nice thing because you can also, you can have one method that returns the like that has success and failure blocks and you have one method that returns a promise so you can like kind of choose which way you want to work with your network thing especially like as a transition from i'm, I'm transitioning an app from uh completion yeah. blocks to uh promises and so you can kind of transition using this which is kind of nice so that's pretty cool but yeah i think if you there, there will be a point where you will have to do one network request after another and maybe a third and maybe a fourth mm -hmm. and at that point you're going to wish you had promises or you'll have to like do you have like an array of things and you'll want to call a an API method on all of those things and be informed when they're all done and you'll start working with dispatch groups and you're like you know what I should have just I should have listened to Sarush and I should have just put promises in here from the beginning <laughs> yeah uh, and I'll expand that to say any place that you find yourself writing the sort of repetitive completion block uh, asynchronous API uh, maybe consider whether bringing one of these uh, promise libraries that we mentioned in the show notes into your project is is viable because it really can clean up those interfaces into something that um, I think much better communicates the intent of that interface, right? Yeah, for sure. It just it it you work at a slightly higher level of abstraction, which I really do like. Right. Yeah. yeah exactly. Um, some of the promise libraries also come with sort of uh, additional things which will make things uh, like so they come with additional packages that will like extensions on things that already exist in in UI kit and and foundation that will make them be promise based 
So I think like, you know, when you have like UI view anime with duration and then you have like a completion block on that, um, mm-hmm. they will actually write one, literally write an extension on UI kit where that, uh, that UI view animate with duration will actually return a, will return a promise instead of having a completion block. And so if you wanted to include that in your chain, you could just do that. You can just make that happen. That's really nice. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty sweet. Okay, so Sarush, I know you recently actually wrote a promises implementation. Uh, how how did that go? Uh, did that help uh, provide you with some insight on uh, on how promises work and maybe get you used to thinking in this uh, to thinking in this way? Yeah. So um, it was really interesting. I wanted to make the API kind of as simple to use as possible, and so that like informed some of my decisions, and then that like causes problems later because of the nature of the way the Swift is written and because of the nature of the type system and stuff like that. For one, it was super instructive because you really get to see like, okay, how does this work? And like, why does this work? And like, you, you can see the state of the promise and you can see like, oh, well, it has a state variable and that like holds on to pending, fulfilled or rejected. It has these callbacks, which is like an array of like callbacks that all call back when it's done. And you can see like, you can start to see how this thing works. Right, it doesn't seem offhand like something that would be really difficult to implement, but um, I haven't implemented it. Yeah, so so there's interesting things. So one one cool part is that when you write the signature for a then function, right? So then I tried to make follow the the, the JavaScript model as much as possible. So it replaces flat map or bind. Um, it replaces map, and it also uh, acts as tap, which I would just call like sort of tapping into the chain, but not changing the state or the value of the chain. Which the JavaScript one doesn't do. If you don't return anything in JavaScript. It will re- it will replace the like it'll replace it with a fulfilled value that is undefined like the value is undefined but it like is a fulfilled promise so you can keep chaining off of it but you don't have your value anymore hmm. okay um, so yeah so so you have flat map which will let you return a new promise and then like continue work so that's called then and then there's also map which lets you change the value inside of the thing in a synchronous way so you can imagine just like uh, if you need to add two num- if you need to add to number add a number to the result or like append a string to the result or something really simple, you wouldn't necessarily want to wrap that in a promise. Um, and you could do that in sort of a, a mapping then block. But because the signatures of all these things are so similar, right? So when you write the signature, you can immediately see like, okay, I have this function that returns a new promise. So I will have to call that and then somehow bind the result or failure of this new promise to this other promise that I'm about to return. And there's like, it's kind of elegant because it feels like there's almost only one way to write it. And it's kind of nice. It's kind of nice when you write and you're like, yeah, this must be this way. And then you write some tests and you realize you actually made a, uh, you had an error with, um, with threading and you're appending two things to, a, to an array from two different threads and then you go back and fix that. And then it looks really, really elegant. But the other part of it is because the then function is overloaded, you sometimes have to add extra type hints to tell the... Uh, to tell the compiler which then function you mean. Hmm. So that could be kind of annoying. Another thing that I learned about was like, do you want to give the error a type or do you not want to give the error a type, right? Uh, what do you mean by that? So you, your, your promise is generic over the type of value, but you would also make your promise generic over the type of error. Oh, right. And so you just have to say, well, error is constrained to be an error type, but other than that, like, I, I'm saying specifically, like, it's going to be this error type. It's going to be an API error. Oh, I see. And so you can declare that as well, but 
then if you make a generic over that type as well, every time you want to declare a new promise or if you want to return a promise, you have to tell it which error is going to be returned. Yeah. And if you get lazy, you can just say, oh, it's, well, it's going to be an error type. I'm not going to tell you which one. But if you want to be specific, you, will, you could say like, it's this kind of error. And that is kind of nice. But at the same time, like I thought that would be a little bit too much. It doesn't seem like that lines up well with the current error handling philosophy in Swift. That's right, yeah. Although it has some, that has some pattern matching built in, but I guess you could just kind of build your own pattern matching in the on failure block. So using this this promise library that I wrote in in one of my apps, and while it for the most part works really well, especially in simple cases, it works great. There are definitely some cases where the uh, type inference doesn't work as well, uh, and there's also another case that I found where I actually want to return i actually want to throw from inside of a then block because hmm. okay. like i have some i have some condition like let's say um i get some value back and like from the network and the dictionary i have to parse that dictionary and make sure that like like a certain key in that dictionary is there if that dictionary key is not there i really can't continue with my work and so i have to signal error somehow and so you can return a failing promise but then if it's a failing promise you also have to return a succeeding promise so if you just wanted to do a simple map instead of a flat map now you have to change everything in the whole in the whole block. So the ability to just throw from inside of there would make things a lot easier. So that's like another thing that I'm going to have to, now, that I'm going to have to write. If you throw from inside of there though, does that, is that going to get caught and turned into an error result for that promise? Yes, exactly. Okay. Exactly. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. The other interesting thing that I learned from uh, writing my own implementation is you mentioned, you know, result. Uh, I could, you could use like uh, the result micro framework, the, the anti-typical result um, GitHub repo. Mm -hmm. And I think that's Rob Ricks. I believe so, yeah. Yeah. So you could use that one, but I, I looked at it a little bit and I didn't end up using it because you end up having to implement some of that stuff yourself anyway because you have this state and the state can be pending. So you'd have like state is either pending or yeah. fulfilled and then the fulfilled value is a result that has like two other values in it. And I felt like, well, if I'm already implementing the like pending versus fulfilled part, I might as well just add one more case. And because it's not like the result type is very complicated. Right. So I ended up opting not to use a pre-built result type and opting to kind of just roll one of my own, partially because it was simple and partially because there was also some, some uh, synchronization around threads that I had to do that was a little bit easier if I had my own type. Okay, that so, makes sense. Yeah, there was definitely some learnings in there. I'm glad I did it. Uh, I'm not sure if I would use it over Promise Kit or one of these other more established libraries, <laughs> but I definitely like understand on a much deeper level like how this thing works. And that's like a that's a good feeling. Cool. Yeah, that's awesome. So, one other th one thing that I want to call out here as long as we're talking about uh, particularly about being able to chain and about being able to chain promises and uh, transform results and, and that kind of thing, is that that's a really good way to start thinking about uh, sort of data flow throughout your program, right? Rather than necessarily thinking just about uh, control flow, which is, you know, sort of the more standard imperative programming way to think about things, uh, it can be really, really useful to think instead about how uh, data and events flow through your application what paths they take, how they're transformed, and how that data flow and how those events uh, inform the the like control flow through your program. So it, it sounds like you're saying that, that reactive programming is somehow related to promises. Is that what you're getting? Well, at? this is what I was getting at. So once you get used to thinking in, once you get used to thinking in this uh, 
in this way, thinking about not just if x do y, if, you know, so that the sort of very standard imperative paradigm. Once you get used to thinking about how data and events flowing through your application uh, inform uh, just sort of how the application uh, flows and how it's structured, it can be useful to think not just about a promise that returns one value, but um, maybe you can you can take the concept of promises and expand this so that rather than returning one value and then completing, you could return some number of values, uh, any number of values, and then complete or error. Uh, and you could use that, you could imagine, to model uh, all sorts of interactions with your, your user interface, to model any sort of ongoing asynchronous work, or just one asynchronous, one unit of asynchronous work, and really structure large parts of your application only in terms of this event and uh, and data flow. Gotcha. So like in the same way that a promise would return once, that might work for, let's say, a UI alert view that has either like it has one of the buttons that are tapped and it can only be they can only be tapped once and then it has to be over that is better modeled for the promise but something like a button which might be used to build that alert view but mm -hmm. like um might send out that like completion more than once right a button might do this a text view might do this when uh, someone is typing you might right. want to get some sort of callback every time uh, every time the value changes. And that's something that promises aren't really well-suited to modeling, but you could imagine extending a, extending a promise library somehow to allow doing this. And right. as you mentioned, I'm now like starting to pitch, uh, <laughs> going one, what, what I see as one step further and thinking about reactive programming, right. which is a topic that we plan to cover in a future episode because yeah. I, I think we're getting to about 30 minutes here. Yeah, all right. Um, yeah, I think definitely we're going to have to do an episode on reactive stuff. Uh, we've got a lot to talk about with that. <laughs> it's going to be great. It's going to be great. So, yeah, promises are, are a crippled version of, of reactive signals. You heard it here first. And they're still very useful. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, we'll talk about reactive in the future, but I think as far as promises, um, there's not really anything else I want to add. No, uh, I don't think I have anything to add either. Cool, great. Well, as always, Chris, it was great talking to you. Yeah, it was great talking to you too. Uh, have a good afternoon.